0: Well, welcome to Timberline. Hey, we are so glad you are here. And if you're new to Timberline, you are picking it up right on the second week of our new series called Long Story Short. It's called that because we're taking 12 weeks to look at Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. And that's a lot to cover. So we're really glad you're here. Make yourself at home. Many great churches in northern Colorado All we ask is you fill out a little connection card. We'd love to have more information about you. There's prayer request opportunities on there. So please fill it out. We'll collect it a little bit later. It's in the chair back right there in front of you. But thank you for being here. Well, I like a little snow on the ground. That's always nice. Thanks for getting out in it and uh, enjoying Colorado this time of year. I really am loving this series. I'm loving studying for it. I'm loving just the whole process. I want to tell you something. If you did not... Hear the message last weekend, the kickoff of the series by Pastor Jeff Lucas. Go online and get it and listen to it. It is phenomenal. It might be, and I'm not just bragging on him, I'm serious. It might be one of the best messages I've ever heard on creation, the book of Genesis, and then all the details about the book, just the book itself. Lots of information, and we want you to have that. This series is gonna have a couple of things you need to be aware of. Come ready, come thinking. We're going to put a lot of information, uh, just stuff that you need to know about the Bible so you can understand from beginning to end. But also, we want to inspire you. We want to make application to your life. So I hope you'll come, and it does build from week to week. So if you have to be gone, then go online, check it out, listen so you can really stay up with everything that we've got going on. So last week was all about creation, this idea that God, you know, showed up on the scene, has always been on the scene, but decided to do something with the cosmos. And we had the creation of the earth, all the planets, the entire cosmos. And I, I think it's insightful to say, you know, whether that involved millions of years with dinosaurs and platelets moving on the earth or, or whatever it was in there, we know on that fourth day, God made night and day. And that's when the 24-hour day literally begun. And and he's so precise that the making of the 24-hour period, you can literally measure the tides of the oceans anywhere in the world. When God did that, he set something in order. Sunrises and sunsets are to the second. So we have a really big God who can do all of this stuff. Then there's the creation of Adam, the creation of Eve, We have their sin, they're moved out of the garden, and then it says, the Bible talks about how people lived and did whatever they wanted, whatever was right in their own eyes. They had no regard for for what God had set up for the garden, and and it's frustrating to God. So we have the great flood, and when the flood happened, Noah built this ark and got his family and animals, and they escaped the destruction of the earth. And now it's like God is sort of starting all over with a guy by the name of Abraham. And that's kind of where we're going today. And just to put this in perspective, we would be about 19 generations from Genesis 1, Adam and Eve in the garden, 19 to 20 generations now we find Abraham. Okay, The flood happened about 9 or 10 generations from Adam and Eve. You with me? Okay, so just we're trying to get you timelines so you understand because it all happens so fast in the Bible. But this is where we are today. We're talking about the promises of God because God shows up and makes a big promise to Abraham that impacts your life and mine. I grew up in a home where we we were definitely followers of Jesus and truth really, really mattered. And so we learned really quickly that we could never say, I promise if it wasn't true. Like our parents taught us, I, I have four sisters, and I, I, was, I was always teasing one of them. We lived kind of up on this hill in the desert area in the west slope of Colorado, and so we had a lot of bull snakes. We had some rattlesnakes, but bull snakes look a lot like rattlesnakes, so I could say to my sister, watch out outside, there's a rattlesnake sitting on the porch. And, and I would always, you know, they would be dead, and I'd have a string tied to them, and I'd get them all ready, you know. And uh, all they had to do, all they had to do was look at me and say, Derry, do you promise? Oh, it would just ruin the whole thing because I couldn't lie. I knew if I said yes, I promised it would be a lie and my dad would kill me. So I I did not want to die at this phase in my life. Here's what I want you to hear. We've got to remember one thing today. It's a very important statement. A promise is only as good as the character of the promise maker. A promise is only as good as the character of the promise maker. If you've ever been lied to, if someone has ever gone back on a promise, you know the feeling that that leaves you with. God is the ultimate in the character of the promise maker. His promises come true. In Genesis 12, we pick it up where the Lord says to Abram, and let me just clarify right here, we're gonna go from Abram to Abraham in a moment because His name's Abram, but God changes it. Abram means like um, high father. Abraham means father of many. Even Sarah, who was Sarai, means princess. And God said, you're now Sarah, which means mother of nations. So what God is doing, he's promising that, that Abraham and Sarah are going to be giving birth to basically the genealogy to Jesus. It's, it's a powerful promise. Okay, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. This is an incredible promise right here. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And like, it's like God's taking care of all this. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. First thing in your program on the back there, um, I put a little outline there for you to follow along. The question is, who is Abraham? We need to understand who Abraham is in order to really understand the power of this story and why God would even pick him. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible. Abraham is given a very high position in respect of three major world faiths today. And they would be Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. If you want to talk to people of other faiths, faiths with those faiths, Abraham is, is often where they want to start. And there are many issues around this. In the Bible, Abraham is actually called... The friend of God. Three different times, Second Chronicles 20, um, Isaiah 41, verse 8, and then James refers back to those in James chapter 2, verse 23. The friend of God. That's, that's noteworthy because not everyone in the Bible is called the friend of God. And, and this is a mystery because Abraham did not grow up in a family that followed the one true God. you got to get this. His father, his name was what? Terah. Terah, the Bible says, worshiped foreign idols. So Abraham grew up in a family that had idol worship, polytheism. They worshipped many gods for many different reasons, and it was a messed up world. How in the world, why in the world would God show up to Abraham when he was raised in a setting like this? It is possible. And let me just give you a side note. Some of you who are interested in these types of things, great. If you're not, I'll, I'll go quick. Abraham may have learned at least who Elohim was, the one true God, from a guy named Shem. Anybody, does that name ring a bell? Shem was one of Noah's sons. He was one of the sons that stayed true to the one true God um, his whole life. And there's lots recorded about him and, and how... What a great job he did with that. But some scholars feel that Abraham and Shem hung out together. And Shem was able to tell him about the flood, his dad Noah, and what happened. And there is such a thing as the one true God. Otherwise, Abraham wouldn't even know there was such a thing as the one true God. As a matter of fact, if you're really interested in genealogy, you know, the genealogies of the Bible, Oh, aren't they awesome? and you read through those and you just get all excited and the begat and the begat and the begat, if you do study those, you will find an interesting fact. You will find that actually Noah's death was 39 years after Abraham's birth. So there were 39 years on the earth where they lived on this earth. Now the Bible doesn't talk about whether they hung out or not, but it is possible that Abraham had met Noah and Shem, and learned about the one true God. I think those are just fascinating side notes. But as far as we see from Scripture, there's no reference to Abraham saying, I know there's a one true God. Speak to me, and I will do whatever you say. It's not in there. God saw something in Abraham's heart. He saw something of the character of this man, and he just shows up and makes this crazy promise that I'm gonna bless you, and you're going to just start walking in every step. You're going to own every step that you, all the land of every step you ever make in your life. Here's the point before we move on. God is pursuing mankind. It's not necessarily that man is pursuing God. And that leads me to my second point. God pursues us before we pursue him. We often don't think of it like that. But it's true. God is in pursuit of people on this earth, and he's chasing after us. Abraham was not really looking for a God experience. But the promise came. This message today is called the promise because we have a God who is relentlessly, ch- relentlessly chasing us down on this earth. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I found the Lord in 1997. What they should say is, the Lord found me. The Lord found me. I just said yes. And I want you to know that God's promises to be with us and lead us, they're very real. They're very powerful, even in our culture today. You can live with meaning and purpose in this life, in this culture, in 2018. You can live discovering who you are on this earth. Life does not need to be empty. It does not need to be shallow like so many things are happening that that basically say that to us in our culture. You can find real, authentic relationships. You can find genuine love here. You can live without addiction and bondage. Why? Because God has promised us the freedom in our lives that he wants us to have. So don't buy the lies when the enemy comes to tell you that's just how it is. We're not promised to escape suffering or sorrow or pain, but God has promised to be with us through everything we go through, and we can have a very fulfilling life. Now it gets really tough. Number three in your outline, wish I could just scratch this, but it's part of the story. Our obedience requires courage before certainty. Our obedience, which is everything when you follow God, Right? It's going to absolutely take courage before certainty. In our lives, at least for me, I want certainty before courage. Like, I want to know where I'm going. I'm sort of a planner. Anybody else? You take a trip and you say, okay, 250 miles out, we're going to get gas right there, probably eat there. That's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. God just says to Abraham, start walking. Abraham's like, where are we going? Oh, just walk. I know, but like where are we going to fuel up where, where, where are we what's going on? I'll just walk. That takes faith. I mean that is absolutely courageous. and he didn't have the certainty of where they were going to be, who they were going to run into. There were enemies. there were going to be battles. there were going to be challenges, but but just remember courage before certainty that's what faith really is. now, God is about to ask Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice on an altar. I hate that. I don't like it at all until I started to understand what's really happening here. This was my least favorite story in the Bible, but now it's not because I understand what God's trying to do. Let's just give some background. First of all, this is Abraham and Sarah's only son. Isaac was his name. He came as a promise from God when they were old. Sarah was barren, could have no kids. So God shows up when Sarah is how old? 90 years old. Now just think about that for a minute, okay? Um. <laughs> Ladies, <laughs> that's what Sarah did. She laughed. Abraham's 100. And God says, uh, you guys are going to have a child. And Sarah laughs and God's like, hey, why'd she laugh? <laughs> he wasn't happy about that because Why? Because he's the God of his promise. He's going to do what he says. Don't doubt it. But this, to say, we're going to sacrifice your son on an altar, um, this doesn't make sense to me. But here's the problem. Before this thing is where it is, Sarah takes a plan from her own head and tries to apply it. So they couldn't have any kids. So Sarah has this, this servant, more like an assistant to her, named Hagar. And in those days, I know we don't get this in our culture, but trust me, this was a prominent practice in the culture. And please remember something. They have one sliver of who God is. They don't have scripture. They don't have any identifiers. They don't know. They're learning as they go. So the names of God are really limited to this point. There's gonna be lots of names of God later, but right now it's just, hey, I'm gonna just start walking. So Sarah says, I need to get pregnant. She goes to Hagar and says, I want you to sleep with my husband, Abraham. God did not intend for that to happen. It was never his plan. She goes to Abraham. Abraham agrees. Bad idea. This is not going to end well. Abraham sleeps with Hagar. They have a son named Ishmael. Now, you can just research this, but there are a lot of problems in the world today because of this mistake. A lot of battles, a lot of wars, and a lot of dead people because of what happened between Isaac and Ishmael and the challenges that this created. God never intended for that to happen, but the beautiful part about God is he takes every mistake we make in our life, and he finds us, and he redeems it. He doesn't waste it. He doesn't cause it, but he always finds us over here wherever we are and pulls us back to the plan that he has in our life. Why is the Bible telling us this wacky story? Because this is what God's do. God wants to do. He wants you to know that this book is real and genuine. It's not make-believe. This is my dad's Bible. And uh, he died a long time ago. And it's all like marked up. Almost every page has highlighted stuff on it. And I, it's, all, it's all un, you know, it's you can't even hardly use it. But I, I just love holding it. I love having it. And, and, and the Bible has power in it. When I think about the fact that this big story doesn't hide anything, you read the Bible, you're going to find bad decisions, sin, you're going to find evil, hatred, murder, lust, greed, sex parties, idol worship, destruction, you name it, the Bible has it. This stuff is twisted. Why? Because it's real life. And God wants us to know that we're going to make bad decisions and this is going to happen in our lives. But when it does, we have the promise of God that he is with us and he will bring us back to his purposes. Genesis 22 is where this story is in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two went together, Isaac spoke up and said, To his father, and he's probably 10 or 11 years old by now. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Oh, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they two went on together. That question that Isaac asked is perhaps the most important question we could ever ask in our lives. Where is the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin? There has to be one. See, this story is set up by God to make a point. That it would be God who would sacrifice and his son would lay down his life on the cross so that there would be forgiveness of sin for all of mankind, whoever would believe upon his name. That's what's happening here. Abraham doesn't know that. Isaac doesn't know that. But that's what's happening here. We live in our little 2018 little view of God world. And sometimes we like to have little pieces in place. And God does this and God does that. But I want to tell you something. I propose that God has a plan bigger than you know for your life. And there's not too much stuff that gets by him. You can trust him and you can trust His promise. God knows how this story is going to end. He knows he's going to provide a burnt offering. He also knows that his son one day is going to be what they called in Scripture, the Lamb of God. The sacrificed Lamb of God. Abraham is preparing for this. Abraham had no guarantee. This is absolutely courage before certainty. Look at verse 13. Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day, it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now we have another name of God. Guess what it is? The Provider. We don't have very many, you know. <laughs> Yahweh, Elohim. And then we have now, because this Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace. I don't even start. <laughs> That's where that song comes from and we now know a little bit more about God as a matter of fact let me really drive a nail home at least for me this matters you know what god was saying to abraham i believe god was saying you know those idols that that terah and your whole family you know those child sacrifices that happened by those false gods and how demanding and how mean and how cruel they were i'm not that god I am a God who will provide the sacrifice for you. Never lay down your child as a sacrifice because I created them for my purpose. There's power in that. Amen. I love that about God. I love that about God. Number four God fulfills his promise in his way and his time. <laughs> How many of you already know that? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, this is crazy, isn't it? I I learned a long time ago, and I'm still learning that uh, we are not the boss of God. How many of you know that? We try. God doesn't seem to always run His playbook by us first. Now He might lead us. The Bible talks about being led by the Spirit. You might have an unction or a notion, a plan. You pray for his will. You want to walk that out. That's good. That's all good. But he says, walk. I'll be with you as you go. And I'll lead you and I'll guide you. But we don't tell him what to do. You know, they don't understand the power of connection with God, these people who don't think God is a good idea. I was thinking today about people who just can't get their head around the idea of God. I think they feel, honestly, and I'm being very sincere here, I think they feel that they can control their own fate better than if they trust their fate into something that they can't touch, see, or feel. And that's ignorance, not stupidity. It's just ignorance. It's a lack of understanding that God is very powerful and I can trust him as I put my life in him. I actually sometimes feel sorry for atheists. I have a compassion for them because, think about this, they are stuck in a depressing world of disbelief, and here's the worst part, and of self-reliance. Self-reliance. I know me better than that, and I don't want that. If there's a better option, I'm going to take it. And that's a challenge for us. You know, if you want to walk with God and experience the promises of God, hear me carefully. Trust is required. Faith is not optional. I must step out and trust him. Faith screams out, I will trust the big plan of God. Not just one little sliver. Some of you, I don't understand why you lost your child when they were young. I don't know why a drunk driver hit your spouse and they died. I don't know why you have cancer. I don't know why you've buried people you've loved. I know this. God doesn't create that stuff. I know we are in a sinful world, and I know bad stuff happens, but I promise you God is with you through all of it, and there is still a master plan that you don't see until the end. Trust him. That's what trust is, and it's hard to do. It's hard to live that out. I get it. What are some some questions we might ponder just to drive this home a little bit more in our lives? I've put three or four down here that I put for my life, but I want to share them with you. First of all, what is God asking of me? What is it that God really is asking of me? When I ask that question to God, I'm sincere about it. I say, Lord, what are you asking of me, if anything? And sometimes it's just walk with me, trust me, hold on, live every day. But sometimes there are specific things. Do I even know what he's asking? Because if I'm making a decision to follow him, I better get it right. Matter of fact, let me just say this. The most important decisions in life should be the most informed. Right? So if you're making an important decision in your life, make sure it's the most informed. So you put people around your life you, you talk to trusted friends. You pray a little extra. And you make sure, because this is a big decision, I'm going to trust God. The second thing that I want you to consider is a question as well. Have I done the most recent thing that God has asked of me? <laughs> I'm laughing because, because sometimes God asks something of us and we say, let's move to the next question. <laughs> not, not that one. Remember the rich young ruler? Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And he's like, "Eh, I'll check in later with you. (laughs) I've I've done everything right, but that one's a little tough to swallow. So we have to be really careful about not saying to God, move on to something else. You know, ask me a question that I want you to ask me. I'll be ready for that one. I actually had one time, this is no, no joke. I had someone come to me, and it wasn't in this church. It was when I was a youth pastor years ago. And someone actually said to me, God told me to divorce my spouse so that I have more time to write a book. Okay. And I said, no, God did not. (laughs) Well, how do you know? I just know. I know enough about the character of God. And what he says about marriage, that that's not a true statement. So God expects us to understand, and what is the most recent thing he's asking? Am I saying yes to that? Number three, is there something I need to put on the altar? You know, is there something in my life that I just need to say, Lord, I'm really trusting you with this. And I, 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 I've told you so many times for two years, I did this every morning. I, I just sat in my study at home, and I put my palms up, and I said, palms up living, I don't own anything. It was a reminder to me, my leadership, the shirt on my back, the car I drive, whatever it is, I don't own it. I don't own my spouse, I don't own my kids, God owns them. They're all gods. If I ever do this, I've messed it all up. Because he's the owner, I'm the steward. And so I have to say that often. What do I need to put on the altar? Is there something I love more than God that I have to trust him with and believe him with? And then finally, number four, will I believe the promises of God even beyond my lifetime? You say, well, what does that mean? It means that if you never see what you feel God has promised you, if he's made a promise to you, and you die, do you have a resolve in your heart right now that it will come to pass even after you're dead? Many of the promises of God don't happen until after people have already died. Now, this isn't based on the promises of God, but I was just looking at some stories of people who never realized their influence would go beyond their lifetime. And by the way, it's all of us will go beyond our lifetime. But how many of you have ever heard of the lady named Emily Dickinson? Oh, household name, right? Literature all over the world. Was published once in her lifetime. Lived out on the east. People thought something was wrong with her. She was a recluse. She was very shy, now her works are all over the world. She never saw that. How about a guy named Vincent Van Gogh? A painter, an incredible artist. Before his time, he lived depressed. He sold one piece of art his entire life. And now his art is worth millions. A matter of fact, in 1990, his, his doctor painting sold for $85 million. It's now worth $153 million. Which of you own it? Come on. <laughs> Van Gogh. He was depressed. He was lonely. He was discouraged because he couldn't get his life together. He ended up taking his own life. Why? Because he couldn't see the rest of the story. We live in such a, a blinding culture where everything is now, now, now. I want to tell you something. Abraham, had we if we could have captured him when he's coming off the hill with Isaac, he was all excited, Jehovah Jireh. And I would have said, Abraham, step onto this platform for a minute. Hey, it's thousands of years later and we're talking about you and this amazing story. He would go, what? Why? Because he didn't realize, even though he trusted God, he didn't realize that he would be the new beginning for the bloodline of the Messiah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Powerful. You guys, Never give up. Never underestimate the power of your God and serve him well. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these truths. We are inspired by these. We trust your promises. We will not stop believing you. Thank you for the story of Abraham and Sarah. Thank you for the power of this story. Enlighten us, show us that your promises will in fact go way beyond our lifetime. How many of you just, I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. If you want to lift a hand, it's to God, not to me but it's just gonna encourage you to slip up a hand to say, I simply just need to know that there is a plan for my life. God, I'm raising my hand to trust you that you do in fact have a plan for my life. Just hold it up to God right now. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters put deep in their hearts in this moment that you are calling them, you are chasing them. There is a plan for their life. Thank you, Lord. The second thing I want you to consider is just, is there anything you should offer to God today? Is there anything you're holding on to and you're saying, mine? And today you can release it and say, it's not mine. It's God's. And you know what? God's not interested in taking away the things you love. Don't, don't bite that hook. Satan's there. You know, I love riding motorcycles. I love certain things. I, and God, God doesn't show up and say, all right, give it, sell it all. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, is there something that's bigger than my love for God? And make sure that's not there. Change your priorities. Get focused on what matters most. I will resolve to trust the promises of God. I want us to just together agree as family. We call this our living room. That we're going we're gonna to agree to trust the promises. I'm resolved today that it's in God's hands Whatever obstacle you're thinking about now, whatever's worrying you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in God's hands and I'm going to trust him. Lord, we do that now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.